blessings upon what is to be downloaded into our spirit. We're here another Wednesday night and a midweek service. Uh, they usually call it, it's called hump day. I don't know what, what that means, but <laughs> it's the middle of the week and we're here to give God praise. And it's a, it's a uh, segue to what God is going to do for us this coming weekend and the first day of the new week. Let's pray in Jesus' name that God will bless this service and bless those who are coming, that God will unload his spirit in us, that we may hear what God is going to say and speak to us right now. Father, we honor you. We thank you. This is another opportunity that you have allowed us to be here. We want to worship you. We want to thank you from the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same. The very name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth in it is safe. We thank you, God, for all that you've done. He allowed us to be here, brought us here another day from our places of work or those who are not God, at their workspaces. You brought us here such a time as this. We want to honor you as Alpha and Omega. We want to honor you as the beginning and the end, the first and the last, who was and is and shall ever be. Father, we pray that your blessings on this portion of this congregation to what God is going to do tonight. We pray that God, you will look out, speak to our hearts. Those who have come to hear and hear the word of God um, broken and God uh, uh, implemented in our spirit. We pray that God, a transformative mindset, give us a willing heart to receive the word of God, that it fall on good ground, that it fall as the dew in the morning. I pray, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, that nothing shall hinder what God is to be spoken. And every such activity, anything that is in the spirit that is against, Lord God, the word to be preached, we, oh God, take authority over it. We stand in agreement that the word of God will be preached. The word of God will be taught by the power of your spirit. Move upon your servant. Move upon our, our pastor to download the word of God that he has been parted into us that we may live thereby. We ask for these blessings. We thank you for this another time. Let's put our hands together. Can we just worship the Lord? We're going to continue to worship the Lord with the praise team as we continue to worship him in tonight's midweek service. God bless you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We bless your name, Jesus. Can we put our hands together in this place? The Lord is great. His mercy is everlasting. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Let's just worship him for a couple of moments. We bless your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Thank you, Jesus. 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 We bless your name, Lord. We bless your name, Lord. You're so worthy, Lord. You're so worthy. We praise your name, Jesus. Oh, God, there is none like you. You are the king eternally mortal. You are the only wise God, and we worship you. You are the only true and living God, and we bless your name. Oh, we praise you. We praise you. Glory. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, God, we have tasted and seen that you're so good. There is none, Lord God, that can do for us what you do for us. And, Lord, we worship you. We adore you. We magnify your name, Lord Jesus. You are our God. You are our master and our ruler. The great I am. The one which is, which was, which is to come. You're coming back for us, Lord. And we're so thankful, Lord. We so, we're so thankful, Lord, for you have a plan for our life and you're coming back for us. We praise your name, Lord. We praise your name, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise is what we do, church. And if praise is what we do, we just need to go ahead and praise the Lord Jesus. For He is God Almighty. Jesus, You are God Almighty. And we're so thankful You revealed Yourself to us. And we are able to know You, Lord. Oh, God, we bless Your name. Oh, God, we praise Your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Glory. Hallelujah. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Amen. If praise is what we do, we just don't sing about it, but we do it. We're not just going to sing praise is what I do. We just go ahead and just praise him because that's what we do. Amen. One of the songwriter thing, I don't think it's the same songwriter says, praise is who I am. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord on a Wednesday night. Amen. Good to see all of you. God is good. And we're so thankful for his goodness and his mercy. Amen. We are going to jump right into the word of the Lord tonight. And um, we're going to continue in our studies Making disciples. Can I tell you this? I know we're all not the same. But I think it's a good thing when you make up in your mind. And these days, this is a title. These days, I don't want to get involved with nothing that ain't moving the needle for Jesus. I got to just be honest with you. I am so really at the point where just, just... I just want to focus on things that's going to move the needle for Jesus. Things that's going to expand the kingdom. All the other stuff, I just, it's, 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 it's just stuff. And I just, I don't know if it's, you know, this year I'm 55. I don't know if 55 make you feel that way. But I just know one thing. I don't have time to waste. 
And I want to make sure that what I do is going to be kingdom business. Expand the kingdom. Do my part to expand the kingdom. And I don't want to get concerned about things that are not pertaining to kingdom business. And so here we are tonight. We're going to get into the word of God to talk about what we talked about last week. And we'll continue to keep our series moving along. And um, we'll see what the scripture says. Last week, you may be seated, we talked about in our Bible study, I made the statement that there is a correct theological approach to reaching the world with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is a correct theological approach. Now, some people are using this theological approach uh, maybe not correctly, but they're using the theological approach with a different thought. And so we talked about Matthew 28, 19, where the scripture says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And so we read those scriptures, and we went and broke it down a little bit, and I want to do the same tonight because this is very essential that you, as a church, understand what the scriptures are teaching. And so those same texts that we just read in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, in, in verse 19, the word teach means to make disciples, right? That's what we said. When it, when it says, go ye and teach, that word teach, when you dig a little deeper and look at the original meaning, it means to make disciples. Then the word that comes after that, it says, nations, all nations. Same verse 19, and we say nations means the whole race of mankind, the whole human race of mankind. So we ought to make disciples of the whole human race of mankind. Then it says baptizing them in verse 19 again. Baptizing means immerse or submerge. And so we need to baptize them. After we have taught them, then we baptize them. And we said when we baptize them, we baptize them in the name. Because it says name singular. Right? So it says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name. And I can't point out to you how important it is to realize the word N-A-M-E is singular. And because it's singular, we are to pay notice of that. 
Because if it's singular, then the sentence is improper for you to use a singular word and then you have what we would call plural words coming after. So if you took English probably up to the fourth or fifth grade, um, you, you would have the uh, proper understanding that once it says name, then you have to pay attention and say, well, what name? And we know if we want to believe that the name is the father, well, is that a name? The name is the son. Is that a name? The name of the Holy Ghost, is that a name? So what name is it being talked about? And we know that name is Jesus. And so we ought to go make disciples of all people, baptize them in the name of Jesus Christ, right? And then after they're baptized, we need to continue to teach them, okay? This teach is different from the first teach. This teach means to instruct them by word of mouth. The first teach meant to make disciples. And we'll talk a little bit more into our lesson tonight about making disciples. The three-word command from the Lord to go make disciples was an invitation for the disciples or Christians to begin living their lives with purpose and intention. As a Christian, we should be living our life with intention and with purpose. And so we have to ask ourselves as Christians, disciples, am I living my Christian life with purpose, with intention? And if we will go and do what the Lord Jesus tells us to do, then we will have purpose. A lot of times we're asking the Lord to show us our purpose. I was talking to someone that was here Sunday. That it was his first time here, but I was familiar with him. And I was talking to him and he was telling me how, you know, he likes to ask the Lord questions. So I asked him, I said, what did you uh, think wasn't accurate in the things that I said today? He says, now most of the stuff that you said was um, accurate. He said, however, I get the feeling that you said, you know, we should let God do God stuff and we should do people stuff. And that's, I had a little problem with that. I said, what's the problem that you have with that? He said, well, I can ask God about God stuff. I said, sure you can, but that's wasting time. Asking somebody about what they know about that you don't know about, they don't have to tell you. So we're not even using God. They don't have to tell you. So to me, I've always been like, we can ask God anything we want. I don't want you to ever think you can't ask God anything. God can handle whatever question you have. But to me, I feel like I can accomplish a whole lot more trying to ask God or read about and learn about what I am supposed to do. And when I know what I am supposed to do, what I've learned about the Lord, that's when he begins to show you more and more what your purpose really is. What we try to do is get God to tell us our purpose, then we move. And we're not understanding, you can't boss God around. He's God Almighty and you're not. So you can ask him any question you want, but he will not answer anything that's not relevant to what he wants to do in your life at that moment. 
So the bottom line is we have to realize that if we really want to know our purpose, we're going to, this is why the Bible talks about faith. We, we misuse it a lot of times, but faith make us say, okay, Lord, I don't know what all you have in store. I would like to know ahead of time, but if I don't, it's fine. You just tell me what's the next step. And you take the next step and God will continue to reveal to you what your real purpose is. Listen, experience is experience. And here's experience. I did not know God called me to be a pastor. But if I didn't take all those little steps that I needed to take, I would have never got to where God wanted me to get to. Did God tell me or did he even tell my pastor when I walked in the door in March of 1996? Never told me a thing. March 1996, walked into the door. He didn't tell me you're going to be a pastor. He didn't tell my pastor I was going to be a pastor. I just walked in the door, and I just started taking these baby steps, doing my part, and eventually he just was opening up stuff, still didn't tell me nothing. I was 20 years in before he even made me realize I, I could do something. And so I try to get people to understand that God will open up understanding and show you purpose if you will take the steps that he's telling you to take each day, each moment, but you can't just think, I'm not moving until God tell me. Until I see something, I'm not doing anything. That's not the ways of God. When you study the ways of God, you come to realize, if I don't do what he tells me to do, then I, it's, it's like, God's purpose for you is not just that you get saved. But what he wants to do in your life, you will not start doing it until you get saved. So there are steps and process that we must go through for God to do what he needs to do in our life. So we have to get involved and start doing the first thing. And the first thing that he told us is what I'm telling you. If we go back, remember... I'll give you this story in a little bit. Remember, New Testament doesn't start until the Lord ascended to heaven. So if you want to be technical, New Testament didn't start till the book of Acts. While we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he was still here. And while the testator is still here, the will is not yet applied. So as long as the testator of the will is still here, you don't need the will. But once he is no longer around, now you put the will in action. So all while Jesus was here, he, he handled business. Disciples didn't fast while he was here. All while he was here, he can tell a thief on the cross, today you'll be with me. Because he was here. Then when he left and ascended, now he says, the word that I've left with you with, that's how you live it now. And that's what we're supposed to do. So if you want to know your purpose, you have to start doing the first thing that he tells you to do. Get saved. Although perhaps the disciples did not fully grasp the long-term implication of his initial invitation to follow him, there was an implied expectation that they would do something significant with the investment he would make in them. Jesus made a three and a half year investment 
in the disciples. And after he made the investment, then he could ascend because now the investment is supposed to produce something. Whoever invests and don't expect to get anything out of it. I'll go as far as to say this. There are some parents that they want to get rich. And their way of getting rich is that I'm going to take my kid to the baseball, to the basketball, and I'm going to drive him around everywhere. I'm going to get him special training. I'm going to do all this stuff because why? If my kid could make it to the pros, I'm going to be rich. And so they're investing their time and effort and energy in their child being a great athlete so one day they can reap something from their investment. So you have that kind of investment. You have financial investment. So we live life investing in and expect that when we invest, we will get something out. Jesus has invested in all of us. And if we think that he's just investing for us just to be invested in and nothing else, we need to rethink that. Because that's not practical. That's not life. Whatever you invest in, you expect to pull something out. And Jesus has invested in many of us. And the question now is, what is he getting from his investment? When Jesus said, go make disciples, his vision was not lost on the hearers. First century dwellers in the land of Israel were well acquainted with the rabbi-disciple relationship. After carefully choosing their followers, rabbis would spend their lives teaching, training, imparting, and sharing their lives, values, and principles. This is how the Lord himself lived and his disciples followed his model during their ministries. The second temple era was characterized by a disciple-making culture. Mm -hmm. Disciples would follow their rabbis endlessly down dirt roads and across hillsides. It was said that they were collecting the dust from their master's feet. <laughs> disciples did not choose their rabbis, but the rabbis chose their disciples by frequenting the synagogues and the, 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 the rabbi schools searching for Israel's brightest and best men. This is my second sermon I'm preaching today. This is a powerful sermon I'm teaching as uh, Bible study lesson, I'm cheese powerful, but I might have preached a powerful, more powerful message than this one today. I was in the office today. I was in the office today. <laughs> I was in the office today, and I got a call from my barber. Wayne, I just sent you a text. Did you get it? I said, hold on, Jazz, hold on. I said, no text message. No, I didn't get a text message. He said, all right, we here talking about something because I know what I heard when I came to church because nobody explained that God was one like you did to me. Nobody explained that to me like you did. So I'm telling these guys around here about there's only one God and all that stuff. 
I said, so what's up? I wanted you to explain something. I said, where are you? He said, shop. I said, okay, good. The people that want to talk to you, they're still there? They're leaving anytime soon? Nah, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. Walked in the barbershop, just holding on, not trying to smile too much because I was so happy. Walked in the barbershop. Little audience. Let me talk first. Let me talk first. That's, that's jazz. I'm, it's your shop, bro. Talk first. So, Wayne, this is what I was told them. I was telling them that you said, according to the Bible, that Jesus Christ is God manifest, the I am. And then I told them that when you look in Matthew 28, 19, you will see that nobody was baptized the way Matthew 28, 19 said. I told them if they got, if, if, if they can show me where someone got baptized, I told them to show me. So Jazz and Barbershop telling people, show me where somebody was baptized in Father's I'm like, oh, Lord. Jazz, you were saying that? He said, sure I was. I said, so what do you need me here for? Let them explain what they were saying because I already told them what you said. So, got some folks. One was a pastor. Another was a minister. Got some other people. And so they're here. And so now they, they said to me, I love this, because this is what they rested on. So Wayne. Yes? You're telling me that Jesus said, go ye into all the world and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Holy Ghost. And, and you want to tell me you listen to the disciples over Jesus? I smiled. I said, I said, listen to me. If you're right, I looked at Pooch, Pooch the other barber, Pooch good guy. I said, Pooch, if he right, this religious stuff is false. Pooch smiled, I said, he said, what do you mean? I said, because Jesus said this, but the disciples went and did this. Can we explain that? So let's just say Jesus is right, because Jesus is always right. Jesus is right. So guess where we're stuck at? Every other writing in the book, in the Bible, that the disciples wrote. Whatever Peter wrote, whatever John wrote, whatever Paul wrote, is shaky now. We can't believe it. Because what kind of disciples we're going to be reading and listening to when they're not doing what Jesus said? But, but Jesus said it. I said, I hear you. I know Jesus said it. But the disciples went and did something different than what Jesus said. So what are we going to do? We might as well close this book up and be done with it, done with all Christianity. He got quiet. I said, now, you know that's not really true. They understood what Jesus said, and you didn't understand what Jesus is saying. I said, it's okay. I said, one thing I won't do as a preacher, I'm trying to help him out. I said, one thing I won't do as a preacher is when someone showed me some truth that I didn't know, I, because I'm so locked in to my traditional way of seeing it, that I don't stop and say, you know what, you're showing me something I really didn't really pay close attention to. I'm going to have to look further into that. I said, I won't do that, because I'm interested in being a, a, a true Christian. So I'm not trying to be right. I'm trying to be a Christian. Because you can be right and be wrong. 
<laughs> I don't know if you missed that. You can be right by holding on to your tradition. Because somebody passed that on to you and you held on to that and it was never in the Bible. But somebody said it and you took it and ran. And so you are being right in your tradition, but you're being wrong in the word of God. And so I had a little another minister there. He's starting to go on and I hear him talking about, well, God knows everything and God understands. I said, see, that's the problem. I said, don't give me no bailout stuff. This is not a bailout. God only know his word. And he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Stop telling me about God understands. Learn God's word and apply God's word. Well, are you always right? No, I'm not always right. But as soon as I know I'm wrong, I repent and go right. Oh. Well, we're saying the same thing. I said, no, we're not saying the same thing. But I just kept bringing the word today, nonstop. When I got done, Holy Ghost moved. It was so quiet. I said, can I leave or do you need anything else? Jazz said, hold on, wait, let me check. Y'all need anything else? Y'all need anything else? All right, you can go, Wayne. It's okay. I said, well, y'all know where I'm at if you need me. We have what it takes to rock this world. There's so many people that are good people. They're trying to go in the right way. They've just been led wrong. And we that know this truth need to open up that book and show it to them. They would say something. So the one guy said, well, baptism is just, you know, it's just a formula. I said, 1 Peter chapter 3, 19. The old me came out. I used to go on the street and witness. And that old Wayne came back up, which is a good old Wayne, came back. I said, 1 Peter 3 and 19. Tell me what that says. The like figure we're unto baptism does now save us. I said, this ain't no just formula. If we ain't baptized, we're not going to be saved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, so don't dress it up. I said, y'all making, you're giving yourself too many outs. And that's not how God does it. He gives you his word, and we're just supposed to do what the word says. No outs. But we took care of some business today, and so we know, you know, classes available at the barbershop anytime we need it. Because the owner of the barbershop, he opens up, you know, and he will let, he opens up and let people know. And I know Jazz, Jazz Great guy, I told you, don't drink, don't smoke, always give good advice to the young people, great guy, but here's Jazz thing, Jazz like to stir stuff up. So you, now that Jazz know this, everybody that's sitting in this chair, and anything he hear, that's not legit. Oh, where you get that from? And he gonna, get, he gonna go right in on them and tell them, well, show me the scripture where that is. And if they can't, if they can't, if they, if they try to tell him something, He's going to say, hold on, let me call Wayne. We got an ongoing Bible study. You never know when, when, I, when I need to show up for Bible study. But I'll show up whenever they need me at the barbershop. But Jazz checked my appointment. He says, when the next time you're in the shop? Friday, right? Friday, Jazz, I'll be here. Just checking. When a rabbi uttered the words, follow me, both he and his invitee understood that the rabbi was offering his life his wisdom, learning, knowledge, and experience. The disciples' part of the agreement included a commitment to follow, the hope of a more informed and educated life. And when the time was right, 
to someday begin perpetuating his knowledge by inviting others to follow him. So when you work, when you are a, a, a disciple maker and you make a disciple and, and, and they get it, then you tell them they got to do that for somebody. I just told the story. I must have told it on the discipleship class um, last night. I don't remember where I told the story. But this was the story. When I met Brother White, he didn't know nothing about the Bible. He brought a little tape recorder to our Bible studies so he can hear and record and remember. When I said turn to um, Acts, you know, he had to go on the concordance and look and flip it. And he go and he did that. And everywhere I went, he went with me. Men's retreat, he was always with me. We were good. And I watched him grow, was there when he received the Holy Ghost. Everything was going good, learning how to Bible work and starting to do stuff. He was on the evangelism team with me and everything like that. And I remember the year came where we had a men's retreat. And, of course, when I was being a disciple maker, him and I shared room every time. We shared room. We ate good. That was just our thing. We went to um, conferences. Him and I shared room. We ate good. We were good. And one year I said, hey, you're not rooming with me. What do you mean? I said, you got to do the same thing with somebody that I've been doing for you. And it hit him hard like, man, we're not going to hang out no more like that. So we're hanging out, but we're just doing it different now. And it hit him hard. The good news was he started doing that for somebody else. That's what disciple making is all about, is that you model your life as an exemplary Christian and you help somebody come along and see how it's done and you teach them and instruct them how it's done. And when they can live for God, understanding what they need to do, then you say to them, can you do the same for somebody else that was just done for you? And we repeat the process and find somebody else. That's how we're supposed to live our life with purpose and intention. That's what the church is supposed to be doing is disciple, discipling people, making disciple. Let's take a look at the first century church and compare it to today's church to see if there are any differences. Let me, let me tell you this. God is not mad at how we do our church services. He's not upset with us, but we're not doing it like the model tells us we need to do it. This is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about we can't be traditional because tradition has come in and kind of tweaked the way the Lord wanted us to do it. We cannot be traditional. If not, we're not going to fulfill God's purpose the way we need to. In Acts chapter 2. Verse 41, the scripture says, Then they that gladly receive his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. 
And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The church was moving. It was meeting in different places constantly. Because in order for people to hear the gospel, the people that have the gospel have to take the gospel. We cannot just assume that because we have the gospel that people are going to run behind us to say, will you tell me what the gospel is? Will you help me? No, we have to go and look for the opportunity to share the gospel with them. People do not know the importance of the gospel like you do. So because you know the importance of it, you're living your life according to the word of God. So you understand the importance of God's word. But the people that you encounter on a daily basis, they do not. And today when I walked out the barbershop, it was like, man, there's so many people that don't know. The stuff that's just regular for us, the stuff that we just, it's just who we are, it's just what we do. Those kind of things that we know, we are not doing and we need to do. And some of us, I got to say this to you, stop telling yourself that you can't. The stuff that you know that you can just spit out with no Bible, with nothing. People don't know that. So you don't need to concern yourself about how much you don't know. And I don't know how to find all those scriptures. Don't worry about that. Just talk about what you know. Because you know so much that the world needs to know because they don't know. Starting with there's only one God. They don't know that. So talk about what you know. You don't have to worry about it. The first century church was more, listen to me, relational and less institutional in the nature that the 21st century church is. So the first century church, they were more relational and less institutional. And so they connected with people all the time. The, the, today's church are more institutional. What does that mean? We feel like everything we do, gotta, we got to go to the four inside that building where the four walls got us locked in. That's where we look to go is into the building. And the church in the first century looked to go out into the marketplace and into the communities to reach people. So that's the biggest difference. I'm not telling you we don't need a building. But what I am telling you is the way how the church began was people were, the, the apostles and disciples, they went out reaching people. They wasn't gathering a whole lot, worrying about going inside the building like we do. So we have made it more institutional where they made it more relational. They went out to build relationship and reach people and tell people about the goodness of the Lord. Because people are not always going to come inside the building. As a matter of fact, whether we believe it or not, church is intimidating to some people. Coming into a building where it's supposed to be a church service can be intimidating intimidating to some people. So the question is, if they feel that way, how are they going to get the gospel? 
too bad they can't come in? Or do we go and take the gospel to them? We hear people talk about the sick and the shut in. Oh, we need to go visit the sick and the shut in. Sure, we need to go visit the sick and the shut in. Well, the people that don't have Jesus, they're sick and shut in. Let's take the gospel to them as well. The emphasis, the the early church continued daily in the temple and from house to house, they shared their resources and did ministry together. The emphasis on relational disciple making is what empowered the church to grow rapidly and spread like wildfire around the known world. This model, however, became lost throughout the centuries of the church history and eventually the church failed to be a people building culture. We became an institutional culture. I told them today in the barbershop, I said, there was a time in Trenton. This is why, for some of you, I might be the uncomfortable pastor for you because you might have wanted me to be a certain way. I'm sorry if I'm breaking your heart because I'm not like the traditional pastor. I told him today in the barbershop, I said, there was a time when I was in church where the most popular pastor was what everybody wanted to be connected to. When you go to church, that girl, I go to so-and-so. Oh, so-and-so, your pastor. And, and the pastor's name was what was important. People were institutionalized because they were going to a building where the pastor was popular. If this one ain't your pastor or that one ain't your pastor, you ain't really saying nothing. And we made that the big thing, who your pastor was. But we were just being institutionalized. We're, we're making church an institution and not being a body, an organism that's moving and living and doing the work of God. And so we have changed the model that Christ had established for us. It's okay to have the building, but we need to do more work outside the building than we're doing inside the building. Instead, congregations came to build around, listen to this, congregation came to be built around personalities. Tell me I'm not telling the truth. Y'all know that a lot of churches now, the ones y'all watch on TV, y'all ain't listening to the word. Y'all went for the preacher. Y'all tune in to some of the preaching because of who the preacher is. I don't need to call no names, but some people, they just go to listen to, oh, so-and-so, we need to look at so-and-so on YouTube. Then you got preachers that was patterned in their style off of another preacher. Because church began to be built around personalities. That ain't what God left us to do. Even, even, Even Jesus himself says he made himself of no reputation. Be quiet. Church is not built around the preacher's reputation. Oh, my preacher know how to preach. Oh, girl, man, he preached the house down. Who got saved? Who got delivered? Who got born again? Who got filled with the Spirit? That's what this is about. That's the model that Jesus left. Mm -hmm. And so, consequently, disciple-making and relationship building 
gradually diminished and were replaced with an easier and less cumbersome paradigm of edifice and personality-driven worship event. That's what we have allowed church to become. We have allowed it to become an easier, less cumbersome paradigm of edifice and personality-driven worship events. Our worship leaders, our preachers, those are the popular people. Nobody paying attention to Jesus. Nobody listening to the word. We just want to know how it makes us feel. Could the loss model of building relationships explain why church politely evolved into a hierarchy, thus establishing great gulf between the professional clergy and the so-called unlearned and ignorant laity? The tragic trickle-down effect was the lost art and lifestyle of making disciples. We have to stop becoming comfortable with coming to church to say, preach to me. We have to come to church to celebrate what God did through us when we weren't in church. So when we are doing what we do in our homes on Monday, whatever we're doing on Monday, what we do in the barbershops, what we do in our job, what we do in the community, we have to start coming to church celebrating what God has done and not come to sit down and say, will you preach to me? I need a word. I need a word. I need a word. Because that was never God's intent. We have made it this And God is not frowning on it because his word is still going out, but we're less effective. And, and, and I will take a step out. Lord, if I'm wrong, just correct me. Jesus probably could have came back already, but we are not as effective as he wants us to be in sharing the gospel. And Jesus said, until the gospel is preached in all the world, he ain't coming back because he's a just God and everybody has to hear the gospel before he can return. So because we have not operated in the way, in the model that he left us, we're not fulfilling the Great Commission as we should because we're chilling. Too much ministry is being done by the church for the church. When we have our Tuesday meetings, it'd be nice if we talk about stuff that's impacting souls. Let's not talk about stuff that ain't impacting souls. Let's, we can always get together and talk about, do we need to put some extra chairs over there, or do we need to, we can always get together and talk offline on that. We need to talk about impacting souls. So let me give you an impacting soul um, scenario. We have what we call in this church, an altar care ministry that it's filled with people that will pray for others as other need, need prayer. And so we have different men and women that knows how to pray for people. But can you all do me a favor, whether you've been doing this for 100 years or you're just only doing it for two years. If you're one of those people that pray with people, can you please ask them 
would they mind you praying with them and not just go slap your hand on them and say, Hallelujah, in Jesus' name, touch them, Lord. Can we just go over and say, can I pray with you? Do you mind me praying with you? There's nothing wrong with that. The Holy Ghost don't stop moving because you're asking someone, can I pray with you? Because you've got to understand that we can't. God has always shown himself to be a gentleman to us. God walked up to blind people and say, what will you have me to do? They blind us back. Can't see. He know they can't see. Why is he asking them that? He's a gentleman. And if God could walk up to a blind man and say, what will you have me to do? And wait for the blind man to say, I need to see. What's wrong with us going to somebody and says, hey, do you mind me praying for you? And when they say, yeah, what would you like me to pray for you? What's wrong with that? Just be polite. Just be godly because that's really what it is. So let's just try to work with that with people and just not slap our hands and just start telling them and cast out demons and prophesying and all this stuff. Talk to them and let them know that you'd like to pray for them. And if they say no, don't get offended. Everybody's not where you would like for them to be. And those very, remember the Apostle Paul persecuted Christians. So before he met the Lord on the, the road of Damascus, I'm sure if somebody tried to lay hands on him, he would have punched them. Am I right or wrong? As crazy as Paul was, somebody tried to lay hands on the Apostle Paul before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he would have punched them. Oh, you one of them people that's talking about Holy Ghost and all that stuff. Get out of here. That's what he would have done. So it wasn't until he got converted that he allowed Ananias to lay hands on him and pray. Ananias would have tried to pray for Paul before Paul met Jesus. It would have been some kind of fight. All of us are equipped. If you've been born again of the water and of the spirit, you are equipped to make a disciple. The scripture says in Acts chapter 1, the former treaties have I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the season which the Father had put in his own power. That's what I told my, my guy Sunday. It is not for you to know the time nor the season that the Father has put in his own power. Can you ask the question? Sure you can. But it ain't for you to know. Not the time yet, 
not the season yet. Because there's a season that's coming where the Bible says we will be like him and see him as he is. So there is a lot of things that God is doing and we want to know how he's doing it. And the, the answer is not your time, not my time. Does that mean that you're not going to move an inch? Because until that's what spoiled children do. Well, I ain't doing that because you ain't telling me. Okay, pouting don't work with God. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. After I got done, the preacher said to me, so do you believe that God can fill anybody with the Holy Ghost? I said, brother, in Joel 2.28, he said, in the last days, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. He didn't say some flesh. He didn't say a certain culture flesh. He said all flesh. So, yeah, he can baptize anybody with his spirit. Oh, yeah, I agree with that, too. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't turn today. They, they, they couldn't make a move. I was on them. Because truth got to be spoken. God's word got to be clear. We got to bring it out to people so they know. And we got to be confident and bold in speaking God's word. And, and, and people just, you got to pray for people. Because they don't realize that they have been following tradition. And when you come with something that they've never heard, they, 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 they got their dukes up and they want to fight. And that's why some things you got to just make it clear. That's why, you know, past couple of Sundays, and I've been doing it for a while, I've been saying, listen, if you can show me the scripture, <laughs> Jazz just kept rubbing it in. So the guy did all this talking, trying to explain. Jazz said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can you find the baptism in the Bible, brother? No, no, because you know when you talk, when you tell people something that they don't know and they don't want to receive it, they're trying to come up with all kind of explanation. And Jazz just listened. After a while, Jazz said, well, hold on. I just repeat what the man said that the Bible says, and I'm still asking you, can you show me in the Bible where somebody got baptized in the titles Father, Son, Holy Ghost? Jazz wouldn't let him get off of it. He tried to get out. He tried to talk about something else. Jazz wouldn't do it. He said, no, I need you to show me. He couldn't show Jazz. He couldn't show him. Jesus uttered numerous powerful statements to the disciples. I told you Jazz would make a good Christian. I, I told you, didn't I tell you all that before y'all met him? I said, Jazz make a good Christian. Because people that know nonsense people and keep it real, they make good Christians. Keep it real. And Jazz always kept it real. Jesus uttered numerous powerful Keep praying for jazz. Because I told you all why I started going to jazz, right? I've been working on that disciple for over eight years. So that's an example of sometimes what it will take to reach somebody. You go to their store, not because you like all their groceries, but you're working on them. You go to a certain place that you like to eat, not because the food is the best, but because you're working on them. You go to the same gas station all the time, not because their gas is always the cheapest, but because you're working on them. You go to the same cleaners, they messed up your clothes one time, my wife tried to get me to leave the cleaner. 
poor Nicole. She, she, she tried to get me to leave the cleaners that were going because they messed up her dress and didn't give her the full money for it. And she's like, you shouldn't go back there. I said, because ah. everywhere I go, I'm going with purpose. I go with a big smile and I interact. And that's not a coincidence and that's not a put on. That is, I hope to win them to the Lord and disciple them. That's what that is. So when I go to places, I am going for a purpose. I'm not just showing up to just show up. I'm showing up because I want to let somebody know who Jesus is. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about making disciples. So, the command to go and make disciples must become the overreaching theme of the church which all other principles, practices, and purposes align. No leader, personality, program, or institution, or institutional initiative can or should ever attempt to replace the plain language and vision of the purchaser and founder of the church. Jesus established a theological way to spread the gospel and reach the world, and we can only be successful by following what he has left as instructions for us to follow. We can't do it the way we want to and get the results he says we will get. Jesus never told us to go build programs, buildings, or massive congregations but simply to go make disciples. I love that statement. Because here is how we do it. We put, as they like to say, the cart before the horse. We say in our mind, having a big church means I'm successful. So the focus is we need to have a big church. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, go make disciples. Does that mean you can have a big church? Yes. But if you focus on it the wrong way, then you're going to miss out on what Jesus was trying to accomplish through you. So if we will do what Jesus says, then yes, we can see a big church and we can say, wow, we have done something great for the Lord. But the big church cannot be the focus. That's where a lot of men have gone wrong that's trying to do God's work on the earth. They thought about big churches. Oh, man, we want a 1,500-seater. We want a 5,000-seater. We want a 10,000-seater. That's not what Jesus called us to do. He called us to reach one person at a time. Make disciples. Reach one person and let everything else take care of itself. I'm smart enough to read his word and know if we do what he says, Oh, yeah, we will see something vast, but we can't make the big thing the focus. You will have a lot of missteps by focusing on we want something big. But if you focus on people one at a time, you will see a great result because that's what God said, not anybody else. No one is capable of making 20 or 30 disciples all at once. And that's why, for the longest, I realized something. 
and it didn't sound good, but I'm a little bit more mature so I can say it. I always used to say, I'll rather preach outside in the street than preach in a pulpit. Why you say that, preacher? Because when you are preaching outside, it's normally more effective because you're probably preaching to people that wanted to hear it and wanted to do something about it. But when you're in the church, man, people come in and they're good. They just want you to put on a show. They want you to preach. And they say, yeah, that's good. I don't need that. I'm good. And we just all know the word of God. We hear the word of God. And that was a good sermon or not a good sermon. And we leave. And a lot of times a preacher preached and wondering, did he make a difference? I know I made a difference in the barbershop today. I know I made a difference in the barbershop today. So I've always known, let me preach out in the street. Let me go preach in somebody's house. Let me go preach on the street corner because I'm going to have more impact out there. Young people, young men that God called to be ministers and preachers, the old timers used to say this, and they're right. Some things they're dead right on. If you think God called you, to be a pastor, this is what the old times he said, you got to at least fill up one section of the church of people you had reached before you can go talking about you've been called. They don't want to hear it, but that's facts. Because as a, as a pastor, what you're really going to go do is reach the lost, love people, minister to people, sacrifice your life, make your life just crazy because you're trying to reach people. If you don't model that when you're in your home church, would you think you're going to model that when you go? Because we like to tell ourselves that. Oh, well, when I go out there, I'll be able to do. If you didn't do it at your home church, you ain't doing it no place else. So if God called you to be a pastor, I would always tell you, make sure there's some people in your home church that you had won to the Lord before you tell your pastor I'm ready. Because the bottom line is this. It's in the Bible. If you can't treat another person's stuff like your own, God will never give you your own. God talked to me so many times about going out and I ignored him. I just, <laughs> I remember one time we had a preacher. He came and um, did a, um, he did a, um, he presented our pastor with a, um, with a degree from St. Thomas University, an honorary degree. And I remember that guy preached. He says, you know that you're ready to do God's will when you have taken on another man's vision like it's your own. I said, man, that, that was a dagger in my heart because I knew it was talking about me. So all of that stuff I heard many years, I'm like, I ain't doing it. I didn't say it, but my actions said it. I just wasn't trying to do nothing. But it, I would hear so many things and so many preaching I would hear that was telling me, you need to go do what you got to do. And I just wouldn't do it. When my time came, there was a whole lot of people in my home church I had taught Bible study to and one to the Lord. We might not like some of the things that the old school tell us, but that's an old school thing right there. That if you think you've been called by God to go pastor, you better be able to show some people. Because what's going to happen is you're going to go out there and you're going to be struggling and wondering what's wrong. And sometimes you can lose out on your own salvation because what you thought should happen is not happening. And now you're frustrated. But if you know how to reach the loss, you go out there and do something. You go out there and do something. 
Today, our basic expectation is for sinners to become born again, come out of sin and the world, faithfully attend church, and hopefully become a faithful steward of their calendar and finances. Most pastors would be delighted if they could achieve this level of commitment from their church members. You want to know? Let me say it again. The commitment that some pastors is looking for is for people to become born again, come out of sin and out of the world, faithfully attend church, and hopefully become a faithful steward with their calendar and their finances. That's what most pastors want. Not in this church. I want you to fulfill your purpose in God. I've always said that. We'll never change from that. I want you, every one of you, I want you to fulfill your purpose in God. I'm not worried about all the other things. Because I believe that if we put the right thing before us, the other things will follow. And if you are dead set on being a a, a disciple maker, you will be faithful in coming to church. You will be faithful in all the other stuff. Because you have put the main thing, the main thing. So my purpose for everyone that comes in this church is for you to live your best life by being and doing what God called you to do. All the other stuff doesn't matter. If a pastor today asked the congregation, are you a Christian, the majority would quickly and without much thought raise their hands. But if a pastor asked, are you a disciple, the response might be confusion or a blank stare. That pastor may receive the same response Jesus received. Many walked away. Being a Christian speaks generally about Christ's died on the cross. But being a disciple is more about how we respond to Christ dying on the cross. And so we love to talk. Just listen to people. I've done this for... When you become a person that want to make, reach the lost and, 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 and make disciples, I know all the code talks. And so while people are talking, I am listening, but I know code words. God. And the heart, when people start talking about the heart, cold word, cold word that you know you're compromising and you want to make yourself feel comfortable with compromising when you start talking about heart. I told a guy today in the barbershop, I said, listen, do God know our heart? Yes, he does. Does God um, have mercy on us? Yes, he does. But for you to set the bar in the right place and make it, you need to be hard on yourself. Judgment needs to start at the house of your house first, your life. Don't make it easy for you to live for God. When you set it up where it's easy, then you're going to find yourself always having to make excuses. But when you make yourself uh, accountable according to the word of God, you will see something different. So when we start talking about the heart and God understands and that he died for us, that's another code word, he died for us. And what I always say, we all know he died for us, but what are you doing now that you know he died for you? That's what disciples think. Now that you know he died for you, what are you doing about it? 
Because if somebody ran in front of a car and pushed us out of the way and they got hit and now they cripple, guess what? You would do everything you could. Well, I hope you would. Do everything you could to make sure you look out for that person as long as you live. Well, Jesus did more than that for you. So what are you doing about it? What are we doing about it since he has done more than that for us? In John 6 and 66, the scripture says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? That's what we're supposed to be saying. What are we walking away from the church for? Where are we going? What, who is going to help us and touch our lives like you do, Lord? So Simon Peter was always smart. He says, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Simon Peter showing us something. There's no place to go. If you really want to make your life work the way it needs to, don't leave Jesus. The priority of Jesus and his disciples was the lost world. He came to seek and to save the lost. God did not become human flesh to feed and clothe the world. His priority was to seek and to save the lost. And so, I close. Second Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who had reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and had given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Listen to me. The world is not in harmony or at peace with the Lord Jesus. Sin has done that. So the world that's still walking in sin and living in sin, all those who are living in sin, walking in sin, they are not in harmony with God because of sin. On the one hand, Christ's displeasure is declared against those who walk, who work iniquity. On the other hand, those workers of iniquity are afraid of the Lord and are alienated from him. Remember when Adam sinned? Adam didn't go and have a relationship with Christ. Adam ran away from Christ. Where art thou, Adam? So when we are in sin, we don't want to go to church. We don't want to talk to God. We just want to stay away from him. The basic meaning of the word reconcile is to change thoroughly. It refers to a changed relationship between God and the lost world. Paul said that Christ Paul said that Christ committed the ministry of reconciliation unto us. Christ's work as the Redeemer did not officially begin until after his ascension, and that work is exclusively accomplished through his disciples going and making disciples as they are enabled by the Holy Ghost. God has called us to be disciple makers. Once he has filled you with the Holy Ghost and you stay in church and kept living, kept obeying, kept following, you are being molded, you are being shaped by God, and you can make a disciple. If you can make a friend, 
you could make a disciple. If you know how to befriend somebody, you could make a disciple. And you don't have to go around. We'll get into this even more. But I'm just telling you now, please don't go around and tell people, I'm going to make you a disciple of Christ. Please don't do that. Just befriend somebody. Be their friend. And when the opportunities present itself for you to present Jesus, little by little, little by little, it takes time. It can take eight years. It can take ten years. It can take six months. It can take a year. It can take three years. It can take five years. But no, no matter what, to make a disciple, it takes time. It takes effort. It takes loving people and knowing how to be a friend to somebody. That's what it takes. And so that's where we're going. You don't have to worry about reaching a multitude. Just one. No multitude. You don't have to win the whole world. Just one. Just reach one person. God invested in you when he invested his spirit in you, when he baptized you in his spirit, when, he, when you were baptized in his name for the remission of sins, and, and you hearing the word, reading the word, learning the word, he has invested in you. Can he get some return on the investment? And the return is you go befriend somebody and just teach them a little bit at a time the word of God. You don't even have to invite them to church. You can befriend somebody and you don't even have to invite them to church. Eight years. I never invited Jazz to church. And then he says, Wayne, I heard y'all have y'all first service, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, you know what? Here go to your address. Eight years. I just go and get my cut and talk regular. I didn't go and tell him Jesus is Lord. And all the other preachers that go to barbershop, they got to let you know they're preachers. I've had times where I'm sitting there and all the preachers talking and Pooch and Jazz looking at me like, you ain't going to say nothing? Nope, not saying nothing. I'm there to reach the lost. I'm not there to tell you I'm a preacher. I'm not there to flex my muscle and tell you what I think. I'm just there to reach the lost. Let's stand. We need to make disciples. Just one. One at a time. One at a time. A good place to start in making disciples. Put people on your prayer list that you would like to see saved. And start praying for them. Don't put a lot because I don't want you putting a whole lot. Put three to five people on your prayer list. And every day you pray for those people. And you're going to be so astonished when they start asking you questions that open up the opportunity for you to share Christ with them. That's all. Just talk to people. Love people. And you'll see what God does. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for the gathering of the body of Christ. Lord, you called us and you gave us the model in how to reach a lost world with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, though we have good intentions, oftentimes we're not following your instructions accordingly. Yes, Lord, we have good intentions. So many of us have good intentions. But Lord, we still haven't followed your word as we are supposed to. Lord, will you help us that as I speak your word, the clarity of the word will come into the heart of your people. And Lord, we will have this passion and eagerness to carry out the word and apply it. 
I pray in the name of Jesus that we will become doers of your word and that God, all of us in this church will begin to befriend people, begin to make disciples, begin to teach your word and be an example, Lord God. Father, I pray that there will be a move of your spirit in our heart to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to not make ourselves of any reputation, but to do the work of the ministry, to do the work of reconciliation. You have given that ministry to us, Lord, the word of reconciliation. Use us to speak. Use us to lead. Use us to be an example, Lord God, that we will see the glory of God. Lord, we realize we're not here to establish a big church, but we're here to reach the lost, to make disciples, and however you see fit, Whatever you want to establish, the church is yours. The church is your body. We have no say-so on how big the church gets. But what we do have some say-so in is obeying you and going forward with the gospel message. Making disciples. Reaching the lost. Proclaiming the gospel. Lord, help us that this word stay in our hearts. And we will do it the way you want us to do it. We thank you. We praise you and we honor you. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. Thank you for your time. If you would like to give to the building fund, we have our offering basket in the back. Have a great rest of your night.